What's up, friends? Welcome to the Challenging Conversations show brought to you by the Edify Podcast Network. The purpose of this podcast is to empower Christians to speak the truth in love, no matter the person or the topic. As you very well know, a lot is happening in the world. Russia has invaded Ukraine and they're not giving up. Inflation is getting worse across the board. China is strategically maneuvering itself to invade Taiwan and gain a stronger hold in Asia. And Israel, all the while here, is desperately trying to preserve its alliances as Iran and Syria threaten to invade their holy land. So what I'm going to do on this podcast for the next few episodes is examine deeper into what does this all mean for us as Christians when you look at Mother Russia and you ask yourself, is Russia mentioned in the Bible? And if so, what does it talk about? What does this all mean? And I realize that a lot of you guys watching or listening are confused as I am. There are a lot of things that I scratch my head wondering, what does this mean, Lord? What is this in your word? Or do we have glimpses? Or I know we can be speculative about this or that, or this passage and what it's, it's mentioning. But right now, here and now, as we're we're, we're praying for Ukraine and many of us, as the world is watching, are concerned about the development that's taking place in Europe and beyond and into the Middle East. Now, what does this mean with Russia? We're, we, we are frightened for the people of Ukraine, but we are to be prayerful. We are to consider that we are living in the last days and Jesus told us that there will be signs before his return. And we're seeing it before our very eyes. Again, my friends, as we are encountering more false doctrine, we will also, as Jesus told us in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24, seven and following, we will also see an escalation of warfare between nations and ethnic groups. And that's exactly what we're seeing take place with what Russia's doing with Ukraine right now. So I know it could be, challenging at times to jump into conversations with people about biblical prophecy and Russia's role. So today I want to help smooth out some of those difficulties that you might be having when it comes to talking about this looming crisis with Russia. And I want to provide you with some measured responses the next time you do find yourself in a conversation. So rather than run from it, that you'll stay in the conversation with someone who brings up Russia. And maybe perhaps talks about uh, their future destruction, or they are curious to know more. And you say, Hey, I listened to this great podcast, right? And you can tell them about this conversation that you and I are having regarding Russia and biblical prophecy on the podcast today. So there are four key questions that I want to throw out there. And I hope and pray that as we look at each question, this will give you guys some biblical truth and some biblical responses that will help bring some clarity to uh, what you're feeling right now or what you're questioning. The first question that I want to answer on the podcast today is this, is Russia mentioned in the Bible? So we got to answer that one, right? It's a simple one, but it's a powerful one. Before we can move on with anything else, we got to ask that question. Let's look at the Bible and see if we have Russia mentioned there at all. So from there, the second question, when will Russia invade Israel in the future? So if Russia is mentioned in the Bible, what does it say? And will they invade Israel in the future? Here's the, the third question that we have. Why will Russia then? So if they're mentioned, 
and there is supposedly this invasion that some people say is in the Bible, why are they going to attack Israel? And finally, when they do attack Israel, what will that mean for Russia after invading Israel? Do they conquer Israel? Are they successful? Now, let me just say this before I give you a little backdrop and then start answering these four questions. The first thing we have to understand, though, is that what we're seeing unfolding right now is not prophecy specific, okay? When you do study prophecy, you do see that there is a nearsighted form of prophecy, and there's also what we refer to as a farsighted form of prophecy, meaning there are times when prophecy was foretold and it came to pass as the prophet was still living, meaning it happened within a couple of seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years, but it was still within the timetable of that prophet. Or um, it was told by a, a predecessor who was still alive at the same time, but it still happened in their lifetime. That's nearsighted. Farsighted, of course, is what we're going to actually be looking at today, where a prophet gives a word from God about a particular people group judgment, warfare, whatever form of devastation. And it doesn't happen until hundreds, if not thousands of years later. So that's important for us to understand. What I'm going to be sharing with you guys today is not prophecy that is that is unfolding right before our very eyes that you can look at a chapter and verse in the Bible and say, boom, there it is right here. Okay. Because some people are thinking that this Gog and Magog thing is actually being fulfilled in in a, you know in front of us right now, and I'm going to show you why that is not exactly the case. But this is something that will happen in the future at some point. Now, this is also important to point out. Number two is let's look at the Sunnis and Shiites. And you think, well, Jay, that has nothing to do with Russia. No, it actually does. Remember the Sunnis, which is ISIS. So, right. So a lot of the ISIS people are Sunnis and you guys have heard of ISIS. A lot, a lot of coverage is not happening right now with them because of what's unfolding between Russia and Ukraine. But remember friends, when our troops in America were backing out, who was coming in? Who are we fighting? ISIS. And they gained a lot of money, weaponry, and influence among the people and in that region. Well, they hate the Shiites. The Shiites hate the Sunnis. Who are the Shiites? They come from Iran. So this warfare between this rivalry, if you will, that has gone back centuries, each Islamic sect, they're working from their own eschatological table, okay? But at the end of the day, they're all advancing jihadism to, in the world. There's two forms of jihadism in Islam. Number one, there is an inner, which is the struggle between submitting to, because that's what Muslim means, one who submits to Allah. There's that internal jihad. And then there's the outward jihad that takes shape into warfare. Well, all of this is necessary according to eschatology for the Muslims because they believe that when there's all-out war in the world, that will usher in the 12th Imam, the Mahdi. That is their Messiah. We believe as Christians, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah. Well, the Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet, but he's not their Messiah. Now, so there you have the Sunnis and Shiites. But guess what? You also have Hezbollah and Hamas who are on the borders of Israel and they're constantly sending rockets and suicide bombers to kill the Jews. And so for the past several years now, Russia has been sending troops near and around Syria 
Why? Because they want to contain Israel. And they're containing Israel because Russia is in alliance with Syria and Iran. Now they, they, they all need each other. And so Russia through the years, as they've been supplying weaponry to Iran when they were fighting Iraq, which eventually they got a hold of some of those bombs and those, those artillery weapons, and they've been using them against our own troops in America. Guess what that was supplied by? Russia. Guess what? Russia's also been supplying these Islamic nations with biological and chemical agents. So on top of all this, we have the Arab Spring. The order of the fatwa, which is a religious decree, has been sent out to the world, to all Muslims, to destroy Israel. And I wrote a book called Stand Strong America with a colleague friend of mine. And in that, the chapter when we look at the warfare that that, that the Islamic radicals are having on the world, causing in the world, there are different phases that they're working on. So it's not just uh, militarily, but it also has to do with an intellect, an ideology, and you know, infiltrating in the educational systems, in literature, et cetera. And so that's the fatwa. That's what it looks like. And so you have Iran now who's on the verge of becoming the first Arab nation to possess nuclear capability. Could you imagine what that would look like if Iran had nuclear capability on top of what Russia has? So you can see how this will eventually lead to this invasion or this preemptive strike that we do see in scripture that we'll talk about in a minute that will happen on Israel. Now, when we'll see, but the world is watching with anticipation and also with horror. And most of us in this world are wondering, is this going to lead to World War III? Now, there are some people who do speculate and believe that this is actually the first phase of World War III. And they liken it to when Hitler invaded Poland. In this case, Putin is invading Ukraine. But it's all in that same region. And we're seeing what's happening with NATO and, and around them. And so this is striking fear on the world. And Russia and Syria, along with China, they're working to manipulate the currency in the world. These oil deals that we're seeing, America now is pulling uh, its resources from uh, parts of the world and cutting off, obviously, supply to America, but then looking to Venezuela and looking to Saudi Arabia and other Islamic nations to power America, essentially. So what would that have on Americans down the road? So as we're seeing these things unfold, we continue to pray. But we look to scripture, we look to the Lord, we look for these signs and we anticipate what God's going to do in and through his church, my friends, and not to be afraid. But we also have to realize that Russia, what they're doing is what they've been doing for most of its existence. In recent years, as they've been asserting their dominance and making threats to other countries, look at the Cold War, look at post-Cold War. Russia invades Georgia, 2008. Russia seizes Crimea in 2014. Russia, on multiple occasions, going back to even World War I, uh, takes over Ukraine. And we're seeing right now they're unleashing major devastation on innocent civilians, women and children. You guys, this is horrific. So let's continue to pray. It just, it breaks my heart. I'm sure you guys are just so troubled by what we're seeing unfolding and we're praying that it will come to an end. But I just encourage you guys, as we're going in this phase now to answer these questions, uh, let's anticipate what God's word says. Let's hold fast to that because it's so important to equip Christians to know what we believe and why we believe it. And more and more people are having questions about Russia and what does this all mean for the end times? What does this look like? So let's start with the first question here is, is Russia mentioned in the Bible? 
So I first want to draw your attention to Ezekiel chapter 38. And here we see this prophecy against Gog. Let me just read it for you guys. I'm just going to read the first opening six verses. It says here, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tobol, and prophesy against him and say, thus says Lord God, behold, I am against you, O God, chief prince of Meshach and Tobol, and I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you out and all of your armies, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords. Notice verse five, Persia, Cush, and Put are with them, all of them with shield in helmet, Gomer and all of its hordes, Beth, Togomar from the uttermost parts of the north with all of its hordes, many peoples are with you. Now, I'm not going to give an exhaustive case linguistically and geographically, but I'm just going to summarize a key, some key things. Now, before I do that linguistically to explain some of these ancient countries, because some of you guys look at these things and say, I've, I don't even see any of these countries like Kush and Put and Persia on the map. And what's this whole thing with Meshach and this prince and Gog and Magog? I've heard of Gog and Magog, but I don't know how we translate them according to scripture. I love what John Mark Ruthven in his book, The Prophecy That Is Shaping History, had to say about this passage. He said, great events in history often gather momentum and power long before they are recognized by the experts and commentaries on world affairs. Easily one of the most neglected but powerfully galvanizing forces shaping history in the world today is the prophecy of Gog and Magog from the 38th and 39th chapters of the book of Ezekiel, end quote. So as I said earlier, because of what we're seeing take place today, more people are drawn to look at scripture, to try to make sense of what we're seeing taking place in the world right now. So if you are watching, this will be easier for you to follow. But if you're listening, I pray that you'll pay close attention. As always, you can pause this, take notes, do whatever that is helpful for you. If you look at the New American Standard, it takes Rosh and it uses it as a proper name. Okay, so this is going to explain Gog and Rosh together. It says it like this. Son of man, set your face toward Gog, notice, of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tobol. Now, remember, the son of man is not, is not these figures or these countries. The son of man is in reference to Ezekiel. He's the prophet. And so God is telling the prophet, his prophet Ezekiel, to set his face toward Gog, this person of this land, Magog, who's this prince of Rosh and Meshach and Tobol. So Rosh, Meshach, and Tobol, you guys, in putting in connection to the geographical side of, of Magog, this land, this is in the remotest parts of the north that is focusing beyond the landscape of Israel. That's how we're able to designate what this is referencing to. This Gog individual though, because if you look at the Hebrew linguistically, it's referencing to a supreme figure, okay? Somebody of great stature. And what's also important is you look at linguistic, you know, in, in linguistical context, you see throughout this passage of Gog and Magog that this individual Gog, who is a supreme-like figure, royalty, president, right? Military, uh, has military might behind them. It's used 11 times in chapters 38 and 39. So that's significant. Now, Joel Rosenberg, because you're wondering, is this Putin then? 
Joel Rosenberg, several years ago in his book, Epicenter, Why Current Rumblings in the Middle East Will Change Your Future, he attempts to answer this question as best as he can. And he knows that it's not specific. And so when he, when he was saying, when you look at this, when you look at the Hebrew prophet Ezekiel, who will form this alliance with Iran and other Middle Eastern countries and attack Israel in, the, in those days, he says, is this Putin? Is Putin the Prince of Rosh? Is Putin Gog? And he says, I'm not saying that he is. But he says, but I maintain that such a possibility cannot be ruled out. Remember, he was writing this years ago. He says, for though it is not yet clear that Putin is Gog, he most certainly is Gog-esque, end quote. Now, I concur. I would say even years later after Joel Rosenberg wrote the book Epicenter, which I recommend you guys reading, and you're seeing what's unfolding now with Ukraine and the rest of the world, the impact this will have on the rest of the world. I still can't say um, that this is Putin uh, or will be Putin in the future. Okay, but this attack right now on Ukraine is not the Gog and Magog invasion because it's not Israel. That's the bottom line. Now, Putin's goal is to restore Russia. Okay, this person, whoever this person is, the supreme figure who leads an Islamic invasion, right, that they lead with these other countries that are mentioned. From the land of Magog, which geographically is a region of Russia, you see in chapter 39, verse 2, from the remotest parts, the remotest parts of the north, that term north is again understood in relation to Israel. And you see these other uh, countries mentioned in verse 5, Turkey, Sudan, Iran, Ethiopia, Libya, Lebanon, Jordan, Syria, possibly Iraq. This puts things in perspective that the that as you're seeing Putin working with these other Islamic nations right now. You can see how their allegiance is to their religion, obviously, but in support of attacking Israel, they need outside support. And who's always been the player who stirs things up is Russia. So even though that's not being fulfilled directly right now, specifically in the text, you can see how this can unfold later because of the developments that we're seeing with these other countries. I want you to take a listen to what Don Stewart said with Greg Laurie when asked the question about Ezekiel 38 in these countries. Persia is a, a, a modern day Iran is ancient Persia. It was Persia till 1935. Right. And Iran is the Farsi word for Persia. Yeah. Okay. It's the country along with Russia and Turkey who are going to be the three main people who people groups are going to invade Israel in the last days. Russia is called Rosh. Uh, the leader Gog is the title. He's the Prince of Rosh. Now it's not because it sounds like Russia, why it's Rosh. There's many reasons why we believe that the country of the furthest North of Israel and Babylon where Ezekiel was. So you've got Turkey, which is called in, in Ezekiel, uh, this is the territory there, uh, Beth uh, Togarma and Gomer. That's in kind of the area where almost the three countries meet, Armenia, where you've got Russia, Turkey, and Iran, they meet. So Turkey, Iran, and of course, Russia are going to be part of this last day's coalition. And Greg, what's amazing about this, if we would be, in fact, we talked about it in 1970, if we said these countries would unite against Israel, but Egypt would be out of it, People think we are crazy because Egypt has fought in every war against Israel, you know, 48, 67, 73, and yet now they're unfriendly with Israel. 
The best friend of Israel in 1973 in the Middle East was the country of Iran, wow. the Shah of Iran. And it was only until 79 when Khomeini took over that it turned to the Islamic Republic of Iran, the greatest state sponsor of terrorism in the world right now. So they have turned. Turkey, a member of NATO, where Israelis took their vacations just a few years ago, wow. has also turned. And so you've got this coalition there, but particularly Iran, because they're, again, they're the one that's front and center with particularly what's going on now in the Middle East with these uh, missiles they sent over recently to um, Iraq and the two bases there. So we're to keep our eyes on them. Okay. So in a nutshell, you see that Don was, and he studied this stuff extensively, was referring to what these countries are in alliance with this, this, Ru this Russian figure. So this Russian Islamic invasion that will take place. Turkey in Syria, you guys are the two big players in the Islamic nations along with Russia. So keep an eye on Turkey right now, who has the biggest military for NATO, who's actually been turning against uh, Russia, uh, excuse me, Israel for quite some time now. And if you actually go back to kind of lead into our other three questions that we need to answer, if you go back um, a ways in history, you will see in 1982, this is, this is important. Russia had sent over to Lebanon, which I do believe is mentioned as I, I mentioned them as one of the countries. Some people don't put Lebanon in there, but Lebanon was given a massive amounts of high-tech artillery that they stored in hidden, in hidden bunkers uh, for a future attack against Israel. That was discovered and therefore it prevented Lebanon with other alliances to invade Israel. Iran, you guys, has spent billions on weaponry from Russia. And this is important because, remember, Russia, and think about right now what they're doing, they need the Caspian Sea. And they need that region where, you know, buckles up there with Iran because it blocks the West from accessing that region and its resources. And also Russian military presence in the Mediterranean is so significant as well. And at the port of Tartus of Syria, it's right there if you look at a map uh, to Israel. And so Russia has placed their military there to protect their resources from the West, but also in, in allegiance with Syria to be there to prevent Israel from attacking Syria so they can continue to do business. So let's look at the second question now here. When will this invasion by Russia and Islamic countries take place in the future? This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. Now, we're told in Ezekiel 38, verse 8, if you, if you have your Bible open here, you will see that here in verse eight, it says, after many days, you will be mustered in the latter years, you will go against the land that is restored from war, the land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. Its people were brought out from the peoples and now dwell securely, all of them. So we're told also in verse 12 here, 
to seize, spoil, and carry off plunder, to turn your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited, and the people who were gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell at the center of the earth. Now, the center of the earth is referring to Israel because if you look at a map, the epicenter is Jerusalem geographically, but also in reference to, again, the way that they always geographically explain things is in, in relation to Israel. So that's the epicenter here is Jerusalem. And that's going to answer our next question, why would Russia attack Israel? But before we do, we have to understand that Israel, remember, has regathered itself. God brought them back together. More Jews are living in Israel. There's more wealth than ever before. They're prosperous and they're safe. I don't think, however, that they're as safe as mentioned here in Ezekiel 38 yet, which is another reason why this is not the fulfillment of Gog and Magog as of yet. I think Israel is going to go in a safer position. Now, some biblical scholars, there are friends of mine who have written extensively on this, believe that the Gog and Magog invasion will not happen until uh, of the first part or the end of the first part of the tribulation period. Some people believe that this will happen right after the rapture at some point before the signing of the treaty uh, with the Antichrist, according to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, that ushers in the start of the seven-year tribulation period that is broken up um, into halves, three and a half years and three and a half years equals seven years, which is the fulfillment of Daniel uh, chapter 9, which is known as the 70th week of Daniel. That, of course, is marked back in 444 BC with the exile of the people of Israel. So when you take all those things in account, some people think this is when Gog and Magog will happen at some point between the rapture and the signing before the tribulation period begins. Some people believe that it actually happens before the rapture if they believe the rapture happens before the tribulation period. And you say, well, Jason, what say you? I don't know. Because the Bible is not specific. There are some indication that um, you know it could potentially be uh, before the rapture, after the rapture, the first part of the tribulation period. I don't think more than likely that this is something that happens in the first part of the tribulation period. And one thing specific, because we're told that it would take Israel over seven years to destroy the weaponry that this, this invasion used to try to destroy Israel. Well, if, this, if the seven-year tribulation period again, is marked according to that time frame. then if it were to happen, then all of the tribulation period, they're going to be uh, working to destroy these weapons when we don't see those details represented in the book of Revelation. So I set that aside for now, but that is another uh, indication for me that this isn't something that potentially will happen in the tribulation period. More than likely, I think that this will probably happen right before the rapture or directly after the rapture. And one thing that people say, well, this has to happen after the rapture because that will devastate America because so many people will be taken to heaven and America will no longer be a superpower, which will allow uh, Russia to invade Israel because they lost their biggest and strongest ally. But if you see what Russia has been doing, even with the sanctions and everything else, they don't, really don't care. So- Again, that used to be a stronger argument to say, yeah, that makes sense after the rapture. But then we're seeing how Putin acts and how Russia, you know, altogether in history has acted. And it kind of say, well, you know, you don't probably need the rapture to happen where Christians are taken and it devastates the world. And then Russia uses that as an opportunity to with Islamic nations to attack it, Israel. So it's hard to say 
All I have to say, bottom line, when will the, this Russian Islamic invasion take place? As the Bible says, in the latter years. And when is that? Who knows? But it's, but we have to keep in mind that the description of Israel is prosperous. There are not borders. They are safe. And right now, if you look at Israel, they are actively protecting their borders because of the things I mentioned with Russia, Iran, and with Syria. So let's look at the third key question now that we have before us. And that is, why will Russia then attack Israel in the future? So if you look at this Gog and Magog invasion, and it's going to happen sometime in the future, why will they do this? Well, before I answer that question, let's go back a few years ago and look at the attempts that Russia has done to try to destroy Israel. The most famous is in 1967. It's known as the Sixth, the Sixth Day, the Six Days War. And Russia back then mobilized their military from uh, the land, from sea, and from the air. And they were going to strike Israel hard. But thankfully, President Lyndon Johnson, he sent the U.S. Sixth Fleet to apply pressure on Russia to back down. Like, you got to reconsider what you're about to do. Because if you don't stop, we will unleash havoc on your military in your country. And thankfully it worked. Russia backed off in 1967. But then in 1973, Russia doesn't directly invade or attack Israel, but they supply weapons to Egypt, who leads other Arab nations to rage war, a surprise attack on Israel. And it was a miraculous warfare. I encourage you guys to look it up. Russia fought, Russia fought, you know, hard to give the equipment to Egypt and Arab nations, and they lost. The military, the Israeli military, was able to fight off this surprise attack on Yom Kippur. So when you look at Ezekiel 38, verse 10, now as we're, we're at some time in the future when this invasion will take place between Russia and these Islamic nations against Israel, Ezekiel 38, verse 10 refers to it as a divide, that they devise an evil plan, okay? So this isn't just a surprise attack. It's an evil plan. And some people, some scholars believe because of that language that's used in scripture, they coincide that to a treaty, in this case, possibly the peace treaty that the Antichrist signs with Israel. And that's why it's such an evil plan because they, around the world, right? The whole world saw that they were going to be uh, making a peace treaty and they will break that peace treaty. And that's why it's an evil plan. I don't necessarily see that. I, I, I see how they can try to make sense of that. But I think that it's an evil plan because like we're seeing with what Russia's doing in Ukraine, they don't care. They're going to try to just do whatever they can to take over Israel by killing women and children. Okay. Now we do see a supernatural intervention though. So we don't know, and it doesn't really report in Ezekiel 38, 39, what type of destruction Israel, if any, will have because God will come to their aid when no other nation will come to their aid. That's also significant. Because we're kind of seeing how the world's not even coming to the Ukraine's aid. And at some point, Israel, who has more allies in Ukraine, no one's going to come to their aid because God's going to prevent them because he wants to show the world that he is the Lord. So when will this happen? We don't know. Why are they going to do this? Well, the main thing, and this makes more and more sense, my friends, is the ruble as Russia is in major decline. 
They're losing military. They're losing soldiers. Uh, they're looking as an embarrassment around the world. Uh, Israel has tremendous wealth. Well, I read that in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 38. And Ezekiel states, remember, that these invaders, they're going to want their silver and gold. They're going to want their cattle and goods. They're going to want their great spoil. They want the massive amounts of reserve that Israel has of oil, even off their coast. They want their sodium. They want their sulfur. They want their calcium. And on top of that, guess what? Turkey, Lebanon, Syria, they hate Israel. They hate the Jews. So taking Russia, who needs resources. So notice, I think that this will feed into the future, obviously, because right now Russia is being devastated right now, and they will continue to be devastated based on these sanctions and the lack of support that the other countries are coming to their aid to, to buy their oil. So they're going to be looking elsewhere. And so the likely uh, victim here is going to be Israel. So that explains why they're going to attack Israel at some point in the future. And the final question is, then what will become of Russia after their invasion? Well, guess what? According to Ezekiel 39 verse 6, Jesus or God says here, I will send fire on Magog and on those who dwell securely in the coastlands and they shall know that I am the Lord. So Russia will be severely decimated. We don't know to what degree, but they're going to get majorly wrecked, if you will. I mean, we're told, as I mentioned before, that Israel is going to take them seven years to destroy the weapons used to attack them. Now, with Russia being weakened as a third world country uh, and the power of that region shifts, I think that it's likely at this point in time, whenever this happens, that the European Union will take on more of an influence in that region once it, uh, Russia is finally weakened to the point of being like a third world country. They won't have the military. They won't have the resources. They won't have the money. Now, it's important. I read this on American Progress, and they've reported that Germany is planning to double their military defense and in the next few years become a major global military power. I think this is also significant because I do believe the revised Roman Empire that's mentioned in biblical prophecy. And will that be specifically the European Union? Will it be named that? I don't know. But what we're seeing is Germany being included. You're seeing reg the regions in that part where the Antichrist will come in and dominate and rule over them to again, fight against the Jewish people at some point, once again, it's an interesting that Germany through all of this is planning to beef up their military defense and become a bigger player against Russia and against the Islamic nations. And that's why I believe the Antichrist will rise to power at some point after this Russian Islamic invasion, according to Revelation 13, one through five, that's mentioning he'll come out of the Mediterranean. That, that's why I don't believe the Antichrist can be Russian descent and is mentioned in, or should be referred or interpreted as the Prince of Rosh. John mentions, remember, that Satan gives the beast, in this, in this case, the Antichrist, a throne, will give him great authority over the world. And so as Russia is doing what they're doing and is feeding in support of these Islamic nations who want to go against Israel, meanwhile, you have a lot of the European nations, in this case, Germany, that they're trying to beef up their resources. And so this, my friends, is a very important time that we're living in right now. And I don't say these things to cause any form of discouragement. Quite the contrary. You need to be emboldened. I mean, when I study this stuff, I pray and we should be praying for the countries that are being 
devastated by the, this horrific warfare that's being unleashed by Putin. And we need to continue to support them and pray how we can, but we're not to sit idly by. The days will get continual darker and evil as Christ, you know, tarries until his return. We're going to see these things growing. And so I pray that you'll be encouraged to stand strong in your faith, to study the scriptures more, to not, you know, evade or to run from conversations about uh, biblical prophecy, but rather jump into these conversations, ask the right questions, study more diligently about these issues so that you can speak the truth and love to people who are wondering you guys, because at the end of the day, Christ rules and reigns at the end of the day. If you guys think about that, not Russia, not these Islamic nations, Israel may be attacked. Israel, Israel may be on high alert, but guess what? My friends, God will restore his people. He's gathered them as a nation of unbelief and he will one day draw them to himself and they will proclaim Jesus Christ as the Messiah. They will proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so join me as we pray for the salvation of Israel and for the salvation of people who are lost and dying out there in the world. And so as we see an evil empire try to rule and control and manipulate and scheme uh, in, in economic ways and militarily ways and in di diplomatic ways, let us not be discouraged. Let us fixate on Christ to come and pray that the spiritual gifts that you have been given, that you use them for the glory of God. So we're going to do in the next few episodes is we're going to start looking into Israel prophetically and what that means for us as Christians today, because sadly, more and more people are backing away from Israel. More and more people are becoming enemies of Israel. Now that's, that's prophecy. We see in scripture that that will happen, but I pray you listening or watching that you will not be one of those, that you will stand with me as we do pray for the salvation of the Jews and praying for Israel. So we're going to be exploring more of those things and looking at other countries and the significance that they play in future prophecies. So I pray and encourage you guys to join me on the next few episodes on that. So as I close out the show, Thank you guys for listening and taking the time to watch this. I pray that it has inspired you guys. I encourage you guys also to go to standstrongministries.org. Take advantage of all sorts of biblical worldview content that we have there on our website. Articles, if you want to buy some of my books, take advantage of that on the site as well as signing up for our weekly e-news so you can stay up to date with all the things that are happening. Until next time, keep having those challenging conversations.